Welcome to our podcast entitled Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is Will Henry, and I'm accompanied by Daniel Lee and Lavelle Jackson. This week, we got an array of topics that we're going to discuss a lot of boxing this past weekend. Um, but before we get started with that, I just want to ask you, fellas, that was a heck of a lot of boxing this weekend. Did you get a chance to check out all of the action? And um, if so, do you like fight weekends like that? We have so much boxing on the on the menu, or do you like it when it's just like one or two events? Which one works best for you? Man, um, what's the guy, Dan Rayfield? Is that the guy that's worth ESPN? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He tweeted that he was watching boxing from 11 a.m. until 2 a.m. And... I guess it's good to have on, but it's similar. It was almost like a college football weekend, but for boxing. You know what I mean? Like, I'm only going to tune in to what I really want to watch. Like, I got to pick what I got, what I want to watch anyway. So, I personally prefer, you know, to have one or two good ones. That way I can dedicate all my energy towards that. But I also get it, too, because, you know, we kind of on the holidays and fighters don't want to be in camp. And so, you know, you either got to squeeze them in at the, you know, right before or you got to, you know, push them back to after. Yeah, you made a good point, Danny. I, I expected it because of the, you know, when the holidays coming up, they try to, you know, cram a lot of fights uh, around this time period. And also, of course, it's the fourth quarter, you know, from a business standpoint, they're looking at that, that, that bottom line. Uh, but yeah, I, I wasn't able to catch every fight, but I, I was I caught the ones that I wanted to see. Um, and, and some fights like this, I mean, it's it's a trade off. I just deal with it. It's a trade off. I don't necessarily like to, you know, flip, you know, channel to channel. But I did like the way it, it was set up, where even though the Showtime card was, you know, it was going late, at least it gave us a little bit of time to to get through the ESPN card. Yeah, I'm not going to complain because at least you, you you want to have options. You know what I'm saying? The only drawback for me is that if you mess around and just select certain fights that you're going to take a look at, if you can't see everything, because I was bouncing around a little bit moving up around um, yesterday in the area. Um, but so I strategically tried to make sure that I saw certain fights. But if you do it like that, then... It, it messed things up if you choose the wrong fights to see, because if something is like kind of boring and it's like, dang, I chose the wrong fight, you know, or I could be doing something else. But all in all, you know, although it was like kind of oversaturated yesterday, you know, with so much boxing that was on, you know, I think I prefer it that way as opposed to, you know, not having any boxing or a limited amount of boxing. So no complaints this way. Now, with all of the topics that we have, you know, it's kind of tough to pick where we should start first, but, you know, I think it's always good to start with the Matrix. So we had Vasil Lomachenko yesterday against Richard R.C. Comey. Uh, What did you think about the Matrix last night? Uh, wow. So so the, the, the Matrix, he looked pretty much refreshed and, and back. But I did see some, some things also in this fight. So Vasily Lomachenko is coming to this fight 15 and two with uh, 11 knockouts, five for six with the 65-inch reach. Uh, going against the hard-hitting Richard Comey, who's uh, 30 and three with 22 knockouts. Now, Lomachenko is coming off, uh, of course, he lost to Teofimo Lopez, and he's trying to work his, his, his self back into the, the lightweight 
uh, title uh, picture. So he, he did rebound with a, uh, a win over Masayoshi uh, Nakatani uh, not too long ago. So he uh, took this fight, which to me, it was it was an interesting fight because of the size of Komei and that Komei is, is definitely a hard hitting guy. Uh, Komei coming off his, uh, his, his uh, success, sensational stoppage of the up and coming Jackson uh, Marinez, um, which I thought was you know impressive in how he did it. Um, and of course, he had that loss also to Tiafimo Lopez, where Lopez kind of wiped him out also. Uh, so Loma, he pretty much, um, this fight started off, uh, of course, Loma Chico, he always takes time to like try to figure out opponents. Uh, and even and, and in this one, I think he had to, he had to, to speed up a little bit because, of course, he wanted to win and also... Uh, Kome is, is is not the guy you want to keep trading punches with, and they did get into some exchanges even early on that, that I was concerned about. You know, Loma, uh, you know, taking shots from Kome, especially that right hand, and Kome, uh, you know, he he was noticeably a lot bigger than than Loma Chico when I when I saw them in the ring. Now Loma pretty much figured them out early on and tr and tried to dominate them with you know angles and and landing and turning them and Kome was pretty much you know trying to catch up to Lomachenko um and and Lomachenko was just too fast and too tricky and using a lot of a lot of his boxing maneuvers around Kome and I think that's the Lomachenko I think is just is one of those styles that I think is 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 bad for Kome um he need Kome needs somebody who can bang with him but also someone who who, who can't you know hurt him really, really bad, you know? So Loma pretty much did what he wanted to do. And he, uh, he hurt Lome pretty much in the seventh and, and put him down. Uh, Kome got up, uh, he was hurt. And of course, Lomachenko was motioning to stop the fight uh, to the corner. And it, of course it went on and Kome just, just showed, you know, what type of heart he has as he made it to the end. And, and it also brings up a point of, of even when, you know, a lot of people were saying Lomachenko was showing mercy. I saw it a little different. I saw it as Lomachenko did hurt him, but I think Lomachenko, if you watch those rounds after that, he kind of, you know, took his pet, his, you know, the gas off the pedal. And I think he was slowing down a little bit. And, and Komei was getting into some exchanges where I thought, even though he, you know, Komei wasn't winning those exchanges, he, he was, you know, fighting himself back in where, you know, he, he won't be pretty much was going to survive and he wasn't like in a survival mode he's pretty much you know throwing punches so i did think that um we saw some with lomachenko yeah he we saw some you know some old we also saw that it seemed like he kind of took his, his, his the, the gas off the pedal and he was kind of I, I don't know how i feel about it, it, it i thought it was a, a weird sight i thought maybe he is showing his age a little bit and he can't do the same thing, you know, 12 rounds in, but it was a good win to, to get back into the title picture and, you know, and we'll see what, what happens from here. Yeah. I thought he dog walked, you know, um, Loma basically to me was Loma, you know, he, uh, and, and what I like particularly about him in this fight and he does this, you know, even when we predicted this, I know I was saying how he would have the advantages against Kome on the inside and outside based on the speed, the angles. And then also on the inside, he's a better fighter. He's more slippery on the inside, but he also can be ruthless on the inside too, you know, with those uh, little uppercuts that he, he was throwing and landing. 
you know, he doesn't he, he doesn't play around, you know, when it comes to on, on, on the inside, especially in clinches and things like that. So he did a remarkable job there. Um, you know, like I say, going into this fight, I just knew it's it's a difference in talent. You know, Kome, you mentioned Bill that this is a bad matchup for Kome. I think that anybody who could box is a bad matchup for Kome. You know, guys has boxing skills, can run you into particular shots. And you add in the fact that Loma is a master when it comes to angles, you know, that footwork, getting on the side of you, you know, and just causing you all type of havoc and um, just creating a situation where he's, he's not there to be hit, you know, and Comey is a right-hand dominant fighter. And I thought yesterday he was trying to box too much. I thought that he lost the battle of foot placement. That was something else that I knew that was going to be a problem going into the fight because he had his lead left foot consistently consistently on the inside of Loma's right foot. And so what that created was Loma being able to have more leverage when he threw his shots. And then also he gave Loma an escape route to the right, like as soon as he finished throwing his punches. And so I just thought it was it was going to be um, an uphill climb for Kome. Although like you mentioned, he came in, you know, visibly the much larger, bigger fighter. But he also looked slightly drained a little bit when I saw him at the uh, weigh-in. So that let, leads me to believe that, you know, when he entered into the ring, how much did he prepare? Because you had to know, like, watching Loma, you definitely want to practice on winning the foot, you know, issue there. Like, he just never attempted to. So going into the fight, was it more of a camp where he, he was just trying to make weight? And he wasn't working on what he needed to work on to be more competitive against um, Lomachenko. So I don't know, because his footwork just looked horrible. And it, it, it didn't look like that was something that he worked on. You know, but Loma, he did a you know, wonderful job of doing what Loma does. And I, I thought that he showed a chink in his armor when he didn't, when he showed pity in the seventh round. I, I thought that instead of like waving to the corner or whoever to stop the fight, just go ahead and get that, get the fella out of there, you know. But all in all, I thought it was a dominant performance by Lomachenko. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, where he goes from here. Yeah, you guys did a good job of breaking it down, so I won't belabor. And you also raised some good points. Uh, I personally scored at 120-108 uh, in Loma's favor. Um, that is including the knockdown in the seventh round. And I actually scored it 10 10 in the sixth round. They both had good moments. I didn't like narrow it down. So it ended up to be 120 108 for me. Um, yeah, like you said, Loma was being Loma. Um, and I don't know. I personally don't think that. I, I think that in a, in a different match where he might feel more in danger or there's more at stake, that, you know, what. What he did towards the end of that fight, I don't think that's gonna that would happen again. I think he would be he would make it more of a show and he would be more of himself. But um, he looked real good. He did what I thought he would do. And you know what? One thing I, I was wondering because he did get caught flush um, a few times, and Comey is known Comey is known as a hard hitter. Um, so, a question for you guys: Do you think that he's sort of filled out more at lightweight? at this point in his career, because, you know, he's always been small. You know, they said the last seven opponents he fought has uh, had the height and reach advantage on him. 
And, you know, he had it, he got knocked down against Linares, but, you know, at moments he got caught flush, he seemed to to take those pretty well. No, I don't think he actually don't think that is. I think that's that could be more in in you know the way Comey was throwing his punches and or, or the strength of Comey himself. Or maybe Comey is not, you know, I don't know, but I, I do think that 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 Lomachenko to this day still, I think he's probably more suited to 130 than 135, in my opinion. Uh, what I was going to say is I think he has. Uh, he looked more solid and more physically prepared to withstand the punishment that can come from a 135-pounder yesterday than I've seen him before. He looked, to me, more sturdy, actually, than Coleman. Coleman looked bigger, but he didn't look like – it looked like the weight was more suitable for Lomachenko yesterday than it was for him. It kind of reminded me of when I saw Floyd Mayweather fight against Shane Mosley. Shane Mosley looked bigger, but just at 147 at that particular time, Floyd just looked more better suited – and had more um, like his agility and everything was was better for him at 147 as opposed to the bigger guy. And so I think that Loma, he's going to have some um, advantages now because a lot of the guys that are at 135, they probably should be at 140. And I think Comey really shouldn't fight at 135 anymore. And you got guys like Devin Haney who had – like one or two fights left at 135 they really struggling to make that weight and it's much better for a guy who can have a few more turkey sandwiches you know and be solid you know at, at that weight as opposed to draining themselves to make it. did you have anything else bill no sir all right so he expressed interest in really really wanting that camboso jr fight um but you know it's a stat lightweight division so where do y'all think he goes from here? Do you think he gets that fired or do you think he goes for somebody else or somebody else goes for him? What do you guys think? Me personally, I think that Cambosas uh, prefers to fight Lomachenko next because the last interview that I heard from him, he was saying that he looks forward to fighting Lomachenko next. And when he talked about Lomachenko, he didn't have any stipulations in his performance where when he talked about Devin Haney, he talks about how it has to make sense. Devin has to sit and fight a little bit more when he was about to face his last opponent in Jojo. And so it was more stipulation oriented when he talked about Devin Haney, but he really acted and talked like, oh, that's the fight I want next. So I'm thinking that that's where Cambosis is going to go. And I don't know why, because I think that each guy will be a handful for Cambosis. I would think that he would have a slight better chance against Haney, slightly. Um, I just think some of the things that Loma does is going to just cause him fits. You know, he's not going to be there for him. He's going to, like, get a little bit more tired of fatigue because he's going to be winging shots. He's going to be missing shots. And then Loma's going to use his experience to, you know, just do what he needs to do to get the victory. If he doesn't stop him, it, it'll be pretty much, I think, kind of a lopsided decision. But I think that that's what's going to happen next is going to be Cambosis against Loma. And it's unfortunate for Devin Haney because he's been waiting around and that belt still is out there. They still don't have an undisputed champion at 135. If they still avoid him, then he has to wait a little bit longer. 
How long will he be able to stay at 135? So all of those things are going to play a factor. So I hope that's not the case. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he faces Devin Haney as opposed to Loma. If he doesn't face Loma, I hear Bob Aram talk about, you know, trying to pit him and Shakur together. So who knows? I, I don't think that that's something that Loma wants to do. I think he wants the 135-pound belt. He's upset that he lost it, and that's the direction that he wants to go. But that's still kind of up in the air. But these guys, man, they're going to have to start fighting each other. It's too many guys at 135. Now, I know Loma's faced Teal, but all those guys need to start mixing up with each other. So how do we know who is the top dog at 135? The only way we're going to know is if they face each other. Like, I can sit up here and say just based on talent, and if I look at each guy, who could potentially have the advantages over other guys? But once you look at it, it's like one guy may have an advantage over this guy, but then again, if you fight this guy, then it, but you don't know until these guys actually fight. We need Haney. We need Garcia. We need Tank. We need Cambosis. And we even need Lil Pitbull now, you know, to enter the fray. But as, if they're not fighting anybody like that, I'm not really interested in seeing any more of these fights. Now, I know that Loma had an injury and, you know, he wanted to recover and fight certain guys to get himself back, you know, to where he feels the way he's back at 100%. It looks like he's there and he's not getting any younger. So, again, I just need to see him facing those upper echelon guys and those other guys facing the other upper echelon guys. They need to do something like a tournament or something like that to establish who's the best 135-pound fighter. But right now, I can't really tell you who's that guy until they start lacing them up against each other. Yeah, it's, it's tough to rank him. But in terms of what I think he does next, um, as it stands right now, you know, hate to say it, but he's not a shot caller in the division. You got three of them. You got Cambosos, for obvious reasons. Tank, because he's a big draw. And to an extent, Ryan Garcia, for that same reason. Um. I think there's two things with Cambosos. I do agree with what you were saying in terms of like how Cambosos comes off, but I think, you know, there's, there's two factors in that. One is the personal preference of the fighter himself. And then I think there's what his team, his management is going to say. Like, I, I, I believe what he's saying, but I also believe his team came behind him. If they haven't already, they're going to come behind him at some point and be like, you tripping though. You got a chance to become the undisputed champ. You know, and I and so I would say that that Cambosos Haney fight is more likely. Now going back to Loma, you know, he said he solely wants to unify the division. So in a perfect world, he would either get that shot, a shot against Haney, or the winner. Now, like I just said, the former is unlikely to happen, but the latter could happen. Depends on what come out. Depends on what comes out of you know if Cambosos and Haney was the fight. Now, out of, you know, the other top guys in that division, you know, Tank and Garcia are not going to knock on that door. Let's be real. And like you said, Aram has expressed interest in putting him against Shakur, but that don't benefit Loma at this point because he, he wants the belts. I think that the short answer is we got to see where the chips fall in the first half of 2022. But, you know, he's a top-ranked WBO challenger. And he's a top-ranked WBC challenger. And he's also in the WBA. He's currently right behind Roley and Rivera. I think in the first half of the year, I, I simply think he should just fight who he needs to in that division in order to maybe try to position himself for a mandatory. So, you know, out of the top 10 rated boxes in that division, 
the only ones who may want to crack at him would be like an Isak Cruz or a Jojo Diaz. But I don't think that Golden Boy would want to set Diaz up with that fight after he just lost against Haney. So, you know, we talked about these top guys fighting each other. I think him and Cruz would be a good slugfest. Um, the lightweight division is just so just jumbled up. Uh, and, you know, all these top fighters and talent. Uh, and really, to your point, Will, I think the only only thing there is to do is to have a tournament. That, that's what they should do. But, of course, you have promotions and all this other thing going on uh, and, and, and other fighters' agenda. So with with Loma, I, I, I think the best thing for him for him, what what he would want to do is, is of course, get that get a, a title back and go after Cambosa. Cambosa, uh, he may look at that as a uh, as an easier job than Haney, and he might get that that belt, and he, he can say he's back. For Cambosa, I, I don't think if I was Cambosa, I would go for Haney because at least Haney brings a, a title to the table, and it gives him Cambosa a chance to be undisputed or be in a fight where someone will be undisputed. Uh, Lomachenko doesn't really bring anything to the table. He doesn't, except for his name, he doesn't have a title. Of course, I mean, we're not going to count a WBO intercontinental title. I mean, he's not the WBO champ officially. So I don't see where, if I were Cambosa, why would I, why would I even go that route and, 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 and be an opponent for uh, Lomachenko? Lomachenko really, what Lomachenko really should do because uh, he's someone who, you know, he just, he's, of course, he's coming off his win with Nakatani uh, also, but he, he still has that loss to Tiafimo Lopez. If I were him, I would go after Tiafimo Lopez in a rematch, you know. I mean, I bet Lopez might be more open to making that rematch now, now that he has a loss also. I mean, there are two guys that's trying to get back to the title picture. Uh, Lopez, I mean, he, if any, he probably has one more fight at 135, if that, and, I, and, and that's it for him. Um, and, and I, I think he can probably make 135 one last time. I, I think his inability to make weight, even though he did make weight this time, I think being drained, uh, even though it is, he is growing, outgrowing the division. I think it had a lot more uh, more also to do with uh, the COVID-19 and the fights being postponed and pushed back and, and all that going back to try to train to make weight over and over again. I think that possibly taking a toll. So if, if I were Lomachenko, I would want to avenge that loss uh, by going after uh, Teofimo Lopez. But, I mean, like you said, Will, I mean, these guys just need to just, they need to have just a tournament where they're all forced to fight one another. And that way, I mean, this is the vision to have it. You know, this division and, and pretty much welterweight really are the two visions. I would want to see a tournament. This is just, you know, the era that we're in right now, you know, it's, 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 it's tricky because I hear what you're saying and it makes logical sense and that's the way it should be. But Cambosis could be just thinking about, you know, he's attempting to have his next fight in Australia. And a lot of times overseas, even here, you know, if he's trying to fill out a stadium over there, even though he's going for history, if he's going to fight Devin Haney, Lomachenko still may be way more popular, you know, in terms of trying to pull off an event like that uh, for George Campbell. So I don't know, you know, he was, you know, highly touted, highly recognized for a long period of time. And, you know, ESPN was like just 
singing his praises for so long. So I don't know. That may be the appeal for him is that he knows how popular Loma is because they were having him up there with like Floyd and not as much, but they were trying to push him, you know, in that stratosphere with him and Pacquiao and things like that. So that may be the reason why or the appeal in terms of what he brings to the table for Ken Bolsters. I don't know. Or he may not just prefer to fight him over Haney. I don't know what it is, but it sounds like that's what he wants. And obviously with the business that it's all going to depend on what his management team wants to do. Um, but that, that could be, you know, a rationale and reason why he may go in that direction as opposed to facing Devin Haney. Cause the logical thing you would think, man, those belts need to be all together. Like it's, it's been too long since we had a dispute. You know, in terms, and I'm hearing him now say that I'm the undisputed champ, and that's something I didn't hear him say. And I hope Cambosis, I hope he continues to be the honorable person that he appeared to be going into and right directly after the Lopez fight. I hope he doesn't start that Lopez stuff and start kind of like talking in circles and things like that, just being a stand up guy that he was. The other thing that I wanted to mention was that T.O.'s days at 135 is over. He, he's going to 140. And then on top of that, my question would be, what does a win over Loma do for T.O.? You know what I'm saying? Like, he's really doing Loma a favor by giving him a rematch if, if he decides to do that. I think for him, he's more so – and he doesn't even seem like he, he wants the, the, the Cambosis fight again. I think he's just going to move on to bigger and better things in terms of weight and, you know, trying to conquer what he can at the 140-pound weight division. But that's all I have with as far as that's concerned. No doubt. Lightweight division for you. So moving right along, uh, we had another uh, event yesterday, another fight, um, which came on yesterday. And this was for... Uh, the Bantamweight, one of the belts at Bantamweight, uh, in, a, in, a, in a division where it looks like the guys are going for a unification bout eventually. So uh, we're talking about uh, the legend, the, the, the Nonito, the Filipino Flash Donaire. Uh, he took on Raymark uh, Gabelio. Did your guys see that fight? Uh, what were your thoughts on it? What were your thoughts on the performance of the Filipino Flash? So Donaire is now 42-6 with 28 knockouts and Gabayo is now 42 and one with 20 knockouts. And I believe he is, Gabayo is around 24, 25, Donaire is 39. Now I had it 29, 28 through the first three rounds. Um, after the fight, Donaire admitted that Gabayo came in with a different game plan than he expected, which made him harder to figure out. Um, now anyone who is familiar with Donaire knows that he's known for that daily love hook. And Gabayos was kind of using the jab and trying to counter in that first round. Um, but Donaire did the more solid work, so I gave it to him. Uh, his corner told him to go to the body, so Donaire started to do that while finding range with the right hand. And Gabayo came back strong in the third round, which I gave him. And for Donaire, I thought he did a good job of at least temporarily sort of using his right hand and going to the body enough to make Gabayo sort of forget about the left hook for a bit, but then he landed it when he count, when it counted because at the end of the fourth round, he caught him with that body hook to the liver that put him out. 
Uh, in total, Donaire uh, landed him 38 to 35 punches. He landed 13 to the body. And he once again expressed interest in rematching anyway. And I think it's the fight to make in that division, assuming he gets past his opponent this week. And, you know, it, it mostly went like how I thought it would go. Like, I do I do admit that, you know, I would agree with Donaire that Caballo came out looking better than I thought he would. But um, Donaire, I, I think he did a good job of not looking past him. And I think he sort of whatever and all that desire he has for that rematch, he channeled into, you know, sort of his game plan. That and just him being the veteran that he is, the professional and, you know, to still be such a live dog at that age is crazy, but you know, impressive performance for him, and I, I really hope he does get a rematch next. Yeah, I, I was impressed with down there as a performance, uh, but even looking at the fight, it looks, you know, uh, a pre- like a pretty even fight. Like Gabello, he was doing his thing also, uh, but it seemed like. Donaire at 118 just seemed it's like the only guy that can really hurt him at 118 that from what I've seen was a a, a new way. Uh, Gabello and Donaire, they were getting these exchanges and there'll be like pretty much even exchanges of hooks and, you know, and, and, uh, and straights. But I think Gambella, Gambella was having more of a, 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 it was having more of an effect on Gambella versus uh, Donaire. You know, Donaire seemed more okay with it and he's more, the thing about Donaire and one of the things that, that, you know, over the years that I've seen from him is that he's more comfortable in these firefights in the, in the heat of the battle. Like right in the heat of the moment when he, he's in these exchanges with people, he's, he's, he's so comfortable in those exchanges. Even if he's getting hit or he, even if he's hurt, he just seems like he's just comfortable in, in an exchange while other guys, they don't have that, that sharpness when they're in that same exchange. They can get in those exchanges, but they don't, they're not comfortable like, in the middle of an exchange like uh, John Arias. Um, so we knew that, that 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 hook would come into play eventually. I thought it would be to the head, but it eventually ended up being to the body, which is, you know, he put uh, Cabello down in the, you know, in the fourth round. Uh, I thought Cabello was going to survive it because it, it was the end of the round. He, he did get up, but that, you know, that body shot just paralyzed him where he just dropped back down again and, and the fight was waved off. And I, and I like that, a lot of respect between the two guys. Uh, Gabello, he's not, he wasn't a sore loser even in his comments after the fight uh, towards Donaire. He was happy to share the ring with, you know, the legend Donaire. And Donaire, of course, he, you know, Donaire, he, when I look at Donaire, he's a guy, he's about 39 years old. I've always wondered when, you know, father time will, will catch up to him. But he's also uh, a big proponent of 365-year uh, drug testing, you know, and for a guy like that, you know, to, to, be clean and expect other fights to be clean and go in there hurting them. It's like he's following the, the the blueprint that Floyd Mayweather set up where Floyd Mayweather was doing the same thing, being an older fighter, outlasting these younger guys and doing it clean. So um, we'll see what done there goes from here. Of course, I, the, the only fight that makes sense really is the, the, the Anui fight. And win, lose, a draw, if I were down there, it's time for, just go off into the sunset, go off on a high note. But it was a good win by him. You know, we seen you know, that, that he hasn't lost too much of a step. He's still, he's still here. Yeah, very good win for my main man, Anito. Anito, um, you know, as I took a look at this fight, man, the fight came on a little too late for me. I'm not even going to lie. I didn't catch this live. 
I got up this morning. I had all matter of fact, I couldn't even really watch the whole fight between Lomachenko and, and, and Richard Coleman. Like I was not in and out of the fight, and I had to rewatch it this morning. You know, that just maybe some old man stuff. I don't know, but that fight was way too long. Because by the time the uh, Comey fight and Lomachenko fight went off, that fight didn't even show any signs of coming on. So I was like, man, it's not going. I'm not going to catch it tonight. So, but anyway, when I did see finally see the fight, I, I was very impressed with what you were saying as far as how Nonito he just stays so patient and so calm. You know, when it's like. In, in those exchanges, you know, it could look very dangerous for other fighters. But looking at this fight in particular, it's just that although that Gabayo had has a lot of knockouts on his, his resume, on his record, it's just that the damage that Nonito would do to him, it wasn't nearly as much coming back towards him. Even if he was getting hit, it's like if I hit you, it's going to be way more damaging than if you hit me. And that's what it looked like. Nonito at 118. He just way bigger than those guys, too. You know, his punches, like I said, just do more damage than um, most of the guys that he's facing, with the exception of a new way. You know, when I was watching the fight, he was walking Caballo down, landing lead, mainly counter rights up until he caught him with the body shot. Because at first, he wasn't connecting uh, with the left as much. And that's probably because of the game plan Caballo had. He was really, you know, leery of what was coming in, in terms of the left hand um, that no, um, you know, Nito brings to the table. Now, again, you know, as you guys mentioned, he caught him with the body shot and then Caballo couldn't do anything with it. You know, he tried to get up, but then he was like, nah, you know, I'm going to live the fight another day. You know, he just couldn't do it. But, you know, great win for old Nito. And I was thinking that maybe he was going to try to set up a fight with Casemiro. You know, but Casemiro, this was supposed to fight this weekend as well. He was supposed to fight yesterday, but in his fight, he ended up, he didn't make weight. And so his opponent is um, slated the face out of all people. You think no need to at 39 years old. His opponent is going to face Joseph um, Agbeko, you know, for the interim title. You know, and Agbeko is 44 years old, you know, so he, but he hasn't lost since he lost to Rigondeaux back in 230. 2013. So that's going to be an interesting matchup. I don't know. The WBO hasn't said whether or not they're going to strip Casemiro, but saying all that to say, I thought Nanito might be trying to grab that belt. And then once he faces Casemiro, maybe going into uh, a new way fight, or I think for his sake, it would be better for him just to go into that rematch, you know, um, sooner than later, because he is not getting any younger. But last night, a very impressive woman, especially for somebody who's 39 years old competing in the 118-pound weight division. Also last night, we had a, a, a light heavyweight scrap between Dimitri Bivol and uh, Umar Selimov. Uh, did you guys check that fight? I believe you did, Will. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I checked it out. And uh, Dimitri Bivol, you know, he did what Dimitri Bivol does. You know, he dominated... Solomon behind an authoritative jab, short right hooks on the inside. Solomon, what he was trying to do, he was trying to counter with rights, but by the time he would throw it for the most part, Bill was nowhere to be found. And then towards the end of the fight, it was basically target practice for Bill, you know, in those championship rounds. And he uh, went on to win a 12-round decision. I had it one 
120 to 108, but I can see like a 119 to 109 or something like that. It was a wide margin. Now, in the fight, you know, he was executing, you know, his style, speed, footwork. And, you know, he showed also an iron jaw because a few times Solomon caught him with, with a few right hands on, on a few occasions he did. Um, so he might be wanting to, you know, tighten up on that. But it was, I mean, in a fight, you're going to get hit, you know. And to me, Bilbo kind of looks like a big Manny Pacquiao, but he doesn't have nearly as much power in his punches. You know, that's one of the things because he was teeing off on his opponent and he typically has been doing it. And he hasn't had a knockdown since the Sullivan Barrera fight that he had. I want to say that was either 2017 or 2018. So it's been a minute. And so that's the one thing that, you know, if you're going to be real critical is the fact that he was landing like significant amount of punches on his opponent and he really wasn't able to do much damage. After the fight, you know, Bilbo was talking about, he didn't specifically say who he wanted to fight next, but, you know, he did say that he wanted to unify the belts. And so that can only mean two guys. So either he's talking about Joe Smith, Joe Smith is going to be fighting Callum Johnson in January, and then you got um, Better Beef, who's going to be fighting this Friday against uh, Marcus Brown. So either way, either direction that he goes, that would be good. I don't want to see any more of these Bilbo fights. There's a couple of things that I do want to mention um, before I turn it over to you guys, if you want to say a few things, is that one, he needs to stay a little bit more active because as of late, he's been fighting like once a year or so. You got to fight at that top level. You got to fight at least twice a year. You know what I mean? Because like it's a little rusty a little bit. Um, and then the other thing is, I'm interested to know why he didn't take the Gilberto Ramirez fight because Gilberto Ramirez was pressing Bivol, you know, to fight this weekend. That's who he really wanted to fight. But for some reason, Bivol turned that fight down. Um, and only to me with the justification for that maybe is he was off for so long and he didn't want to go into a big matchup like that. But next, he needs to face somebody like Gilberto Romero, um, Ramirez or one of those other guys like a um, Better Beef or Joe Smith if they're victorious in their next fights. You have anything on Demetri Bilbo, fellas? Yeah, I just got a, a, a comment that, yeah, to your point, you're correct. Bilbo, he's been doing the same thing for, for a few years. And even uh, Bilbo and Better Beef, that's a fight that probably should have happened like about three years ago, it's, 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 it's moving past his date to a point where now 175 is, is filled out more and, it's, and 175 in itself is becoming like 135. And now we have all these guys with belts, but they're all, instead of fighting one another, they're happy to, to, to take on this challenger, this mandatory and here and there and not unifying. And, and I think for Bivo, I think it's more to his disservice because, you know, he's the one that his, his resume has been, more so lacking, you know, so these guys just need to step it up and especially Bivol, he, he needs to step it up. I mean, and, and then, then you have, you have these guys not fighting one another, but then start calling out a Canelo, like they deserve to fight, you know, I, I, I don't understand it. Maybe it's, the, it's just the error today, but, you know, I mean, it's always good to see Bivol win though and, and get the win. And, and he is a, a talented fighter. It's just that, you know, at this point, you know, we, we want to see more. Yeah, you, you make a very um, important point because we had a conversation this past summer. I believe that was this summer. But when we talked, we were ranking 
like the top divisions. I don't know if you guys remember that. And honorable mention was 175. And then we talked about 135 and 147 being like the best weight classes. But, you know, when, when you look at it, yeah, as far as talent, but you really can't be the top weight class if the guys aren't facing each other. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it looks good, but at the same time, I'm tired of looking at guys and attempting to figure out who's better because who, you know, you're looking at similar opponents, you're looking at, as opposed to them just getting in the ring fighting each other. And so we, that's one thing, you know, as far as the wish list moving into 2022, that we have more of that. You know what I mean? I can see guys facing, you know, opponent here and there, you know, in preparation for another guy. You know, like, okay, I just fought this big fight. Now I might take a fight here or two. I'm working on these things because I'm fighting this next big fight, you know, leading up to something as opposed to just fight after fight after fight. You fight less than stellar opposition, and that gets boring. You know what I mean? That gets to the point where when you have a Saturday, it's like you want to see boxing, but at the same time, I want to see you fighting those caliber opponents that you're facing, especially when another big-time fighter in your weight class is calling you out. The other thing that I wanted to mention is what you said. You made a very good point. You can't sit up here and be demanding to fight a Canelo. You know what I'm saying? And then you put on a performance like that. Although you dominated, you still didn't do anything that's going to demand a Canelo fight that separates yourself from the other guys who's asking for the same thing. And only way you can do that is have a dominated performance against another upper echelon caliber opponent. So that's all I got on. So yesterday also, you know, like we said, we had a lot of boxing on the slate, man. You know, it was early and often. And uh, one of the fights midday over here, I'm sure it was late over there in the UK, you had Conor Ben, you know, facing his stiffest opponent in Chris Algeri. What did you think about Conor Ben yesterday? So Ben is now 20-0, and Algeri is now at 25-4. and um, For those of you who who might be thinking that Algeria guy, he sounds familiar. Um, that was a guy who beat Ruslan Provodnikov back in 2014 to get his belt. And that set him up for a Pacquiao fight, which he lost. And then he also fought Amir Khan in 2015. And then he got stopped by Errol Spence in 2016. Uh, he was kind of off grid a little bit for, um, for a few years after that. Um, had a few fights in 2018 and 2019. And then he fought August of this year. So, you know, you had him against, you know, him being a 37-year-old veteran against 25-year-old Ben. Um, Connor's been pretty active, especially this year. You know, he stopped Samuel Vargas in April, and then he beat Adrian Donato's by unanimous decision in September. And I got to say, uh, Ben really impressed me this fight. He fought real mature. Uh, he went to the body early, and he used good head movement to slip around Nigeria's punches which uh, worked out perfect for him because, well, one, you could tell Algeria was feeling that power when he did tee off. But two, you know, throughout the fight, as long as it lasted, Algeria was more, was like, you know, it, it kind of bought him in, I believe, as kind of like that, you know, slick, elusive veteran who, you know, was one of those thinking boxers and to, to kind of give Ben kind of that mental test. And, you know, Algeria was mostly moving in and out of range and was kind of thrilled to see how Ben would react. And so I say it played, it, it worked perfect for him is because he reacted exactly how you would want to see a guy of Ben's stature react. That said, 
Uh, ben caught him with the left hook towards the end of the second round and put him down. Algeria was arguing that it was a slip in the second round, but but the ref rooted the knockdown. And by the third round, there wasn't a whole lot of pop behind Algeria's punches anymore. And then in most of the fourth, Ben didn't throw a lot. Seemed like he was just trying to time Algeria to figure out when to go in. And when he did, boy, did he. Because he caught him flush with a solid one-two that, that put him out. And that was the fight. Um, I'll just say, like, on a sort of boxing but non-boxing note, I, I, I like how Jiri's a person. I've been following him since that Provodnikov win, and I remember watching that all-access with him and Pacquiao, and he seemed like a smart, insightful dude, you know what I mean? And he has a master's degree in nutrition, and at one point, I know he was in Danny Jacobs' all-access against Triple G, and he kind of was helping out with it there in camp nutrition. And I know he helped other fighters with that, too. And he's been doing a little commentating here and there. So, you know, at 37, if he decides to move on from boxing after this, he he has had a solid career, but he has a solid career ahead of him too, either in nutrition, commentating, or however he wants to use his talent. So um, still salute to him. And shout out to Ben too, because that, that young fella looked good. You, you had something, Bill? Yeah, you know, that when we look at guys like him and, and of course his, uh, I'll call him his spiritual counterpart, who is uh, Chris Eubank uh, Jr. You know, a lot of those guys, they, they, these two guys are interesting because they, of course, they have to start in their father's shadow, but they're starting to, they're not going to break away completely, but they're kind of breaking out of it a little bit, especially with Ben, you know, of course, you know, part of it was they, they, of course, they get compared to their father. And, and he, of course, he's not, he's never going to be as nasty as his father was in the ring. You know, his father was just a different type of animal, of course, because, because, of course, even though he has, he had a different background. Um, but Ben, he, he did show some, some, some grit, some power. And, and boy, that, 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 that shot just took Algeria out. And to your point, uh, Danny, Algeria, Algeria, uh, great guy, smart guy. It's like how many how many brutal fights like this do you want him to take? You know, especially someone who 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 has a career, who's capable of having a career outside of boxing and and, and past boxing. So it was a good win, you know. Uh, and salute to Algeria for for showing courage because he'd be getting in there with some bangers, man. One thing you can't say about Algeria is that he won't get in the ring with bangers. He get in the ring with him, even even if he knows he's outgunned, but. You know, good win for Connor and Ben to, and, and we'll see what go, where he goes from here as far as stepping up in uh, competition. Man, let me touch on this. I, I, y'all look kind with this. And the only reason I might sound like, you know, a little bitter, you know, is the fact that I'm sitting up here in some of these UK groups and, you know, they, they just, they need to pump their brakes a little bit. It's a good win against a, a, a damn near 40 year old man who was a part-time chef. You understand what I'm saying? Like, come on now. Like my question to you fellas is this, is that um, what's the ceiling for Connor Ben in, in the welterweight division? We, we, I don't know until he steps up. I mean, we, we really won't know. I, the way I look at him now, I still look at him as a, as a, uh, a prospect. So who knows? Uh, how far is it? What his ceiling is and, until he hit it, just like anyone else. You know, that's but how see, I look we, at we it. We don't know anything. Right? I mean, we we might as well not talk about any subject as far as like a prediction if we don't have like a, a kind of an opinion on like the likeliness of something. 
Now, again, like, I can sit up here and say, well, I don't know. But what I do know, based on what I see, I see a person who looks like a small welterweight. I see somebody who, when I, if I match him up against guys, and I'm saying like, like right now, okay, he's young. How would he fare against somebody like a Boo Simmons? How would he fare against somebody like um, my main man out of Dallas? Um, I think it's Grand Prairie the other kid um how would he fare against some of those other guys i don't see it like i see him being you know a good fighter like the same level as maybe i don't know i, I don't know like but i don't see him up there i just thought that this was a pretty good win for somebody you know it's just a, a good win I, I didn't see anything anything special about this because what's coming is, is like on his last leg Algeria part-time fight you know what I mean like you're gonna find somebody a young gun if you just come back sparingly periodically you fight in their hometown and you just can't c- continue to go to the well like that and Algeria was always somebody who had the chance of getting beat like this against one of those welterweights you know what I'm saying? Like, if you found somebody with some pop. So I just didn't see, like, how great of a win this was for Conor Bean, to me, you know. I mean, I, I look at the way he did it. You know, that the, the way he did it, I think, I, I felt was impressive to me. Because Jerry, I mean, we, we look at him, yeah, he is a part-time fighter. But no one has done that to him. Yeah, Errol Spence brutalized him, but he didn't knock him out cold like that. And also, Jerry. To, he said he himself he was injured in that fight. He never said he was injured in this Ben fight. Now, what might come out after that, we don't know. So, yeah, Algeria is a part-time fighter, and it's time for him, you know, to go. But I, I look at how Conor Ben did it. Now, I'm not saying that Ben is going to be the upper echelon of the welterweights or anything like that. What I'm saying is impressive for him. And as he step up, we'll see where he goes up. We'll see, you know, who he's able to be as he steps up. Like, he may not be able to beat a Boots Ennis, but the question remains, can he beat a Keith Thurman? You know what I'm saying? Can he beat a Danny no. Garcia? You know, no. we don't know that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, exactly. I'm telling you, what, what I think is no. And, and, and to further my point, so you, you mentioned Errol Spence, didn't do that to him. Errol Spence beat him down in the fifth round, um, the, you know, demolition. That was 2016. He's fought one, two, three, four fights since 2016. And so... The fight, the guys he's has on his resume since 2016. I don't know these dudes. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just saying, like, and take into consideration what I'm hearing guys from the, the UK group saying. Like they're just going way too far to me in my eyes. Pump the brakes. Let him face one of those other guys. You know, a top ten opponent, at least a top ten guy. You do this, do something like that to a top ten guy. Okay, I can see where you're going with that, but not somebody who has four fights in the last five years. You know what I'm saying? And at the 37 years old, is working with other guys who's who's um, cooking meals for him. Like, yeah, as a part-time dude, you just be. Uh, you know, that's just me. I think what you're saying is is fair for me personally. I was, you know, I, I forget which fight you said this about before, but I was judging him on kind of like the curve that he judging, judging himself on. So you know, he fought Algeria, good fight, and it would be one thing if he was personally calling out these guys, but he called out Adrian Broner. So <laughs> I think he could be Broner too. 
And so, like, that's that's all I'm saying. You're right. If he's talking about that type of, you know, those shenanigans like that, then cool. Yeah, he's he's, he's cold blooded. You know what I mean? Like, he'll whoop AB. Because yeah. AB to me is not going to be anybody like young with good reflexes and power and stuff like that, especially above 140. Like, at one, and then he's been off too. He's in a similar situation. He's part time rapper. So, you know, that fit right up Connor Ben's alley. You're going to get him in next. But shout out to Connor Ben. <laughs> So, fellas, this was a big fight weekend this past weekend. This upcoming week, we got a big fight week. On the 14th, we have a new way fighting Aaron DePayne. On that Friday, like you said, Will, we have Better Be Even Brown. Uh, on the 18th, Saturday, we have Jake Paul against Willie Two, Amanda Serrano against Miriam Gutierrez, Joseph Parker versus Chisora Two. And Zerto Ramirez against Uniski Gonzalez. That's your boy, ain't it, Will? Yeah, yeah. Very solid guy. Very solid fighter. What do you think about that one? Oh, as far as the uh, Gilberto versus Uniski Gonzalez fight, you got Gilberto is going to be coming in at 42-0 with 28 KOs. You got Uniski Gonzalez, who's right-handed. He's 21-3, 17 KOs, 36 years old, 6 foot. Um, Gilberto, you know, on top of all of that, like I say, he's a southpaw. He just left top rank and now he's fighting, um, out of the golden boy banner or, uh, right now. Um, as far as this fight is concerned, um, like I mentioned earlier, you know, Gilberto initially, he was putting all his eggs in one basket. He was trying to get the, the Dimitri double fight. This, for this fight card, he couldn't secure the bout, so he ended up taking this fight instead. Yaniski Gonzalez, he last fought against Tom Karpinski. Um, he scored a KO in that fight. He has losses against John Pascal, a fighter named Shabransky, and then also uh, Vazdik, who held one of the 175-pound um, belts, who ended up losing to better beef um, a couple years back and then he retired um, also with Yaniski Gonzalez he's on a three-fight win streak but prior to winning those three fights he took a three-year hiatus from boxing um, I think the fight that he lost against Vazdik it took a lot out of him so um, he ended up going on a vacation for those three years came back and like I said he, he's on a three-fight win streak after he's won those three fights He's ranked number five in one of the sanctioned bodies. So he's, um, this is a pretty good, this would be a pretty good victory for uh, Gilberto Ramirez if he's able to get it. Now, as far as the skills are concerned, I like Yaniski Gonzalez. Well, I liked him a lot more earlier in his career, you know, when he was taking on guys like John Pascal. In that Pascal fight, about six years ago, um, they fought, they, and HBO was really high on Yaniski Gonzalez, but in that fight, a lot of people thought that he ended up beating John Pascal. Now, the other losses, I, I, I don't think that those were as controversial, um, but that one was. He, as far as the skill is concerned, he is very strong. Like He's like one of the stronger 175-pound fighters, 
But one thing that he does like, he likes speed, and then he often gets hit a lot. Like in all of the fights I've seen from him, he does take a lot of punishment. And I know that at this stage of his career, you know, how much of that is going to um, contribute to him slowing down even more going into a fight against uh, Zerto. And the last time I saw him fight, in addition to getting hit a lot, he he looked a little stiff, you know, and that that just going to come with the territory as you get older and being so muscular as he is that um, that's one thing that I noticed. As far as Gilberto, Gilberto, you know, his last fight was against Sullivan Barrera. And this is going to be very similar because Sullivan Barrera is like a big, strong, you know, older Cuban type fighter. And so he's going to be facing a very similar um, type of style. So I think that whatever it is he learned in that Barrera fight, he can bring that to the table. And that's just suffice, you know, in this one. Um, Zerto has a fan-friendly style. You know, he does a really good job of pressuring, but he can also box. You know, he's a lanky, accurate puncher, you know, and he, he's a really good technician. Um, so all in all, just based on what I see from both guys, I would think that Gonzalez is going to be tough you know, especially early, you know, that's just what he does. It's just who he is. But, you know, when it's all said and done, I think by the time he makes it to the middle rounds, if it makes it to the middle rounds, I see Zerto, you know, just putting too much on him. And I see somewhere like around an eighth round stoppage. And so that's how I, what I see in this. What about you, fellas? Yeah, I think the the, the pressure and, and, and ability of Zerto is probably going to take a toll on uh, Gonzalez, but I think Gonzalez's game, he's been in there with, with, uh, some veterans. Um, he, yeah, he, he took those three, those three years off from that Bostic loss and, and Bostic is a, is a brutal fighter. And it's interesting because you, because I don't, even though, yeah, he, he's, he's trying to work himself back, uh, losing to Bostic is not like, uh, something to be ashamed of, you know? especially at that time before the, the bitter B fight when uh, Bostick was looked at as that, you know, a tough guy. And he's, he's, he still was, even it's just that bitter B fight just took a lot out of him also. So, uh, so um, Gonzalez is, is, is a game challenger for, uh, for Ramirez. I just think Ramirez, you know, style, you know, he's tall, you know, long. Uh, he has that, that, that brutal style to him. I think it's going to be too much. Uh, and, and really, I think uh, Zerto, I, I think Zerto, and while we're talking about Zerto, I think Zerto is a perfect opponent in the future for Canelo. You know, we know Canelo is moving up to, to cruiserweight. Um, he's going to take on his opponent at cruiserweight. But eventually, I think he's going to settle down to, to light heavyweight. I'm not sure he's going to go back down to super middleweight. He'll probably settle at, at light heavyweight. And I think Ramirez, even though Bitterbeeve and Bivol might be, you know, champions, they might be, uh, as far as status, they're big fights. I think Ramirez is a, is a good fight at 175 to sell to the Mexican base. On Think about it, on Mexican Independence Day or Cinco de Mayo, that's a perfect fight. And, and plus, Zerto with his style and his, you know, his height, his length, uh, interesting to see him against a, a Canelo, but you know we'll see if he gets past uh, Gonzalez in this fight. No, I, I, I don't. You know, as far as um, Zerto, I agree that he ideally, because he has such a good, solid fan base, that that would do well with with, with the Canelo. Now Canelo can look at it because he has so many options. 
it's a couple of things that he may be looking into. For one, I know what, what, what Canelo is doing. He's taking a Floyd approach where Floyd used the Mexican fan base or the Hispanic fan base to his benefit. So he knew that he had the urban market already locked down. And then with his brashness, he kind of had the popularity of just like a superstar, but to solidify that Mexican base on those Mexican holidays, that that was very good marketing. And I think what Canelo understands is that he has the Mexican fan base on lock, regardless of however they look at him in terms of who he's facing and comparing him to some of the Mexican greats. Some people have a problem with him. Some people love him, but they are, are going to tune in. So he has that already on lock. Now, what he's doing is another huge fan base is the UK fan base. So he's going out and getting those fights against those guys to secure that base which is causing you know, him to get a lot of revenue or even more revenue because those in-between people, they just know their name recognition. They're gonna tune into a, a Canelo fight anyway. So those guys are, are geniuses when it comes to that. I don't know what, it depends on where the cash cow wants to go. You know what I mean? Like a fight against Zerto, is that gonna bring in some of the other, um, you know, eyes, in other areas, you know, you're going to get the Mexicans, like they just going to flood to that one right there. But, and also would he prefer to face a Benavidez over Zerto? Because hardcore people are going to say that he, if he does fight Zerto and beat Zerto, then they're going to complain and say, well, you should have fought Benavidez. You know what I'm saying? Because right now Benavidez is the name they saying that Canelo is ducking. It's always going to be somebody out there for somebody like Canelo that they're going to say that they're ducking. You know what I'm saying? Because you can't get to everybody. And I'm just wondering from his standpoint, if I am going to fight another Mexican, Mexican-American, however, do I just go after the guy that they already said that I'm ducking? And I'm not. It's just the fact that Benavidez really is not going to do anything for me, you know, as opposed to some of the other things in boxing that I want to be able to conquer, like going up and being a five-weight division champion or somebody else has a belt some you know you just never know once you get to that that level you know what guys are actually attempting to accomplish or what they want to attempt to accomplish but it's going to be interesting moving forward do we want to touch on some of those other fights briefly yeah yeah so so i know we discussed um bitter b versus marcus brown uh, uh some some time ago so for a, a quick a quick prediction on on, on that particular fight, um, like I said earlier, Marcus Brown, he of course he had that fight against Jean Pascal where you know he he was caught uh, he was caught early and, and really he won, he lost that fight being you know knocked down by Jean Pascal and, and of course the fight was uh, stopped and ruled a technical decision in favor of Pascal. Um, so. But but also, like I brought up before, when we touched on this fight earlier, Pascal, of course, he was, I mean, of course, he's, he's been failing a drug test, and we don't know if he was juicing for that fight. He probably was uh, for, for that particular fight. And I'm a Pascal fan, so I say that, as, I'm not saying that to, to throw Durham's name, I say that as someone who's kind of disappointed and someone who I respect. So um, I think against Bitter, Bitter Beef, I think, 
this is Marcus Brown's chance to to show who he really is and show that that, that Pascal fight is just he's just the victim of that circumstance. But do I think that's going to happen? No, I think Bitter Bitter Beef eventually, unless Bitter Beef has lost too much from the, that COVID situation, he should break um, Marcus down. He should catch him in the same way because, of course, even though you can you can we can argue that Pascal was used to you know, what have you. Um, Juicing don't don't make you land punches. You know what I'm saying? Juicing, someone your opponent juicing don't 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 line you up in the middle of the punches. So I think he's still going to be lined up for 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 if he doesn't work on his defense, he's still going to get caught by those same type of punches. Even though I think Pascal is more of a uh, unorthodox puncher and Bitter Beef is more predictable. So I think it's going to be be harder for Bitter Beef, but I also think that Bitter Beef will land more leather than Pascal did on him. But we'll see what happens. I think Bitter Beaver probably going to break him down and stop him uh, late, 11th round. Yeah, the, the punches don't – it doesn't increase your accuracy, but the same punches that you would have been getting hit with will definitely have a chance of having more impact. And so the impact of the shots that he took, because he took some hellacious shots against – uh, John Pascal when they fought. And fortunately for him that they did, you know, I think it was a cut or something like that that they stopped the fight over as opposed to what looked like was going to eventually happen. And that was him getting knocked the heck out, you know. And, you know, that's that's a lot of punishment he took against Pascal. That, that's a lot of uh, psychological um, damage that it could possibly have on him going against another powerful puncher. Now, if Marcus Brown is recovered from that loss 100%, I didn't see his last fight. I saw highlights of his last fight. But if he's recovered, then this is a close fight, just based on what I've seen from Better Beef recently. Like, he looks a lot slower than he was before. And in his last fight, I thought that he was just trying to get some rounds in. But once he finally got the victory in around the 10th or 11th round, he was so happy and elated that I'm like, dang, like, what is he going through, you know, physically from having COVID? Because they said that he had to, like, get breathing um, treatments and stuff like that. And, you know, it's been a while since he had COVID. You still know the lingering effects. And then he's, like, 36 years old. So this could be a lot closer. It just depends on, to me, more so Marcus Brown. No, it's, it's, it's both. It, it, it's like how Marcus Brown recuperated from that pummeling from Pascal. And then also, is better beef, you know, it, it has his age caught up with him. And then also has, you know, does he have lingering effects from COVID? Now, if it's all equal, close fight I still would lean towards better B but I think that this this could be you know very very interesting matchup but like right now I would have to favor better B because Marcus Brown took a whole bunch of damage against Pascal and it's hard to recuperate from that because you see what happened he didn't get clocked like Chad Dawson did when he fought at Donna Stevenson but he was on the verge of that like he took a lot a lot of punishment so I'm leaning towards better B like a mid-round stoppage, maybe late stoppage. I think that Brown is going to have his moments, though. I don't have anything proprietary to add to that, but I pretty much see it going the same way you guys did. I think it's going to be a stoppage. 
any other fights on the slate that you guys want to want to mention? I know you got the Jake Paul. You know he had um, his fight against Fury got derailed, so now he's going to be facing um, my main man, uh, the UFC fighter. What, what, what you think about that? You think that's going to be a better fight, or do you think that um, it's going to play out the same way it did before? Or what, what's your prediction on that one? Honestly, I was more. And even though I don't get too excited about these type of fights, I was probably more excited about him facing Tommy Fury because Fury is an actual, you know, boxer, even though he's not like high level or anything close to, you know, uh, like his brother uh, Tyson Fury is. At least that's an active, you know, boxer. You know, Tyrone Willie, he's a, le- is a, is a, a legend, UFC legend, but he's not a, a boxer like that. And, and plus, um, of course, he's older, and also, I, I think even when you look at the first fight, it, it's almost like a, a a mental deficiency there. It's like Willie can beat Jake Paul, but he just doesn't. He just did not. So I, I it's it, Ty, Tyrone Willie, Tyrone Willie, is, is, he's hard to pinpoint. And I think we, unless he gets over that mental block, we're gonna see the same thing in the rematch. Now, because really, when I, when I predict before in the first fight, I predicted that Willie would you know, put the hurt on on Jake Paul and and it didn't happen. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but hopefully I'm I'm still pulling for Tyron Woodley. So we can, we can end this, uh, this, this, this Paul train and and, and put it to bed. To me, Woodley looked like he smoked a flat fat blunt before he got in the ring. Like, you know, he just had that cool, calm demeanor about himself throughout the whole fight. Even when he got Jake into trouble, he slightly, you know, went after it a little bit. But after that, he just was in that calm, cool state of mind. He was just like, he was chilling. And I would actually favor Tyrone, Tyron Woodley if this fight was set up and he had like a full training camp to prepare for Jake Paul. Like he knew that that was what was going to, um, the fight that he was going to have. And that he could properly train and he can just like in that camp, just be prepared to throw a whole bunch of punches, right? Like just to prepare himself, just to go all out if he had to in, you know, their upcoming bout. But the fact that this fight is, he got the notice two weeks, you know, he got two weeks notice for this fight. That's going to lead me to believe that he's not going to have time to prepare for the one thing that he really needs to prepare for in order to defeat Jake Paul. I think this is probably going to be worse. He might end up getting knocked out because he's going to probably get fatigued and tired just having two weeks to prep. Because he said that when he got the call, he was on a set for like a movie or something like that, which leads me to believe that, you know, he wasn't thinking that he was going to be boxing. If he's training, it's one thing just to be in some shape. But it's a whole another thing to be in fighting shape. And he really needs to be moving those arms a lot and getting them prepared to, you know, just throw caution to the wind if, if necessary. And I don't know if he'll have enough time to prep for that. What about you, Danny? How do you see this fight going? So I was going to say, unless he's been kind of doing like some anticipatory training, like kind of hoping that something happened and he could, you know, have some kind of get back. I was going to say that was the only way that it would be possibly as good as the first fight. But now that I know what you just told me, it might get ugly. Um, I don't know, man. It's not 
you know, he he's at that age where unless you're constantly boxing, like he's not going to do you a favor. You know, like I was, I, I boxed consistently like once a week and I was in pretty good shape until the week of Thanksgiving. I, I did pass the week of Thanksgiving and then, and this was early Thanksgiving week. And then last week I studied. And then I got back on pads Wednesday. He's like, you you getting out of shape, man. You know, it was like two weeks. I'm 35. Mm-hmm. And granted, I'm not a professional athlete, but it doesn't take long with a sport like boxing. It's not like basketball or or football or something like that. So I don't think that's going to do him any, any favors at all. I mean, I think that because it was pockets on favors, but, you know, that that's all in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, any other fights that you you guys want to touch on? I don't think it's, it's a new way fighting. Yeah, but I don't know that guy he's fighting at all. Okay, so it seems like that's just gonna be stay busy type fight for um, a new way. I, and his name, and when I look on like Ring Magazine, I don't see him in like the top ten. Some of the guys that new way already beat is is ranked ahead of him. So yeah, and um, I don't know much about. Serrano's opponent either, but with Katie Taylor winning yesterday, I'm hoping that, you know, Serrano handles business and we can set up that unification because they, both of them are up there in, in the women's division. So not division, but, you know, the women's side. So, so I hope that happens. Yeah, those, those are two uh, top pound for pound fighters. We're talking about uh, Taylor and Serrano. And I think we mentioned this before. If you have uh, Clarissa Shields, her and Savannah Marshall, if you can get those fights this year, you know, that will be something that will help put the spotlight even more on women's boxing. And so that that would be definitely, you know, good for what they're attempting to do as far as getting the eyes and, and views and things like that. Plus, it'd just be really good competition. That'd be something we definitely might headline with if if we can get those um, bouts this year. And it, look like, it looks like we're going to get the Clar- Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall after they fight and they should have fought pretty soon or they should be fighting pretty soon well i think they both have separate fights and they're going to build up to that one fight i think they're going to have separate fights oh okay. like, initially, yeah initially they said that they were going to fight um i want to say yesterday like they were supposed to be on the same card yeah i think it was going to be yesterday but they must have moved it back okay sounds good anything else you guys want to touch on before we wrap things up so, uh, Bill, you want to touch on the International uh, Boxing Hall of Fame, the new inductees. Um, so the floor is yours to go ahead and discuss that. Yeah, so the International Boxing Hall of Fame, where they give honor and praise to, you know, the fighters that we love, the fighters in the past. Uh, of course, uh, because of COVID the last two years, we've gotten, we received the, 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 the nominations that came in, but a lot of those guys uh, weren't physically in 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 inducted as far as in person so they're adding some of them onto this this one right now so i'm gonna list off a few names for each year i know 2022 is pretty stacked also but i'll, I'll list some names we have holly Hom, who's gonna be in there uh, miguel Cotto, uh james tony and his arch nemesis no other than the legend roy jones jr um that's for 2022 uh 2021 uh the, the, the names that were inducted that will be that will be uh physically done at this one which will be uh it'll be june 9th through 12th in new york uh we got floyd mayweather jr we got ann wolf vladimir klitschko layla ali and andre ward 
and that's for 2021. Now, 2020, you have Shane Mosley, Juan Manuel Marquez, Christy Martin, Bernard Hopkins, Lucia Riker. I mean, though, I mean, just listen, just listen to those names. It's just, you know, they, they've all done things, you know, at the level, at the top of their game. They, they, they're all legends. They all deserve to be in there. And who knows? I might, you know, might want to, you know, make a trip down there this summer and, and see what's up, you know. Let me ask you this question real quick. So those people that you just mentioned, the 2020, they've been inducted already, right? It's like they were inducted, their names were inducted, but because they didn't physically have them at the time because of COVID, they're mm -hmm. going to honor them this year, I believe, in person. Oh, I got you. I got you. Okay. And this is a pretty good uh, list this year. I mean, every year it seems like, but Floyd, Ann Wolf, Vladimir, Vladimir Klitschko, Layla Ali, Andre Ward. That's a, you know, and, and when you name those those fighters, like even Holly Holm and you know, Roy, James, Tony, all of them, man. It just brings back so many memories. And Kodo, you know, what they bring brought to the table. And, you know, just like lasting memories, man. And it's it, it's interesting because most of the people that you have on there, at some point, they had to prove themselves against an upper echelon fighter or somebody who was like supposed to be as good as them or better in order for them to show their greatness. And that's something that I hope that these younger guys, they take that into consideration, you know, as they, you know, go through their careers. Cause it's good to, to earn that money, you know what I mean? And, and, and things of that nature. But at the same time, legacy is important as well, you know, or even more important because it's something said when some, you see certain guys out and it's like, you just have that admiration for them because they, what they brought to the table in terms of that, those kahunas that they had in order to want to fight the best and attempt to be the best. Like when Roy Jones fought against James Tony, like that was a huge event. You know what I'm saying? Like that was big. Andre Ward, when he's fighting against um, Kovalev, you know what I mean? Like uh, the things were stacked against him. You know, you just mentioned Holly Holm, you know, when she fought the UFC fight against the, the young lady who they were saying was the fighter of the year, although, you know, most people thought that it was Floyd. You know, you have Floyd Mayweather when he was fighting against Diego Corrales. And you just remember those moments, man. Kodo, I remember the Zab Judah fight. Like, all of those times that you just had goosebumps, you know, when you remember some of these fighters and um, those fights that they fought in order to prove themselves, in order to um, just get the adulation that they deserve. You know what I'm saying? So, shout out to the people that are in the Hall of Fame um, and, you know, all of the inductees. So, you know, I appreciate you mentioning that. Most definitely shout out. And last but not least, uh, you know, I want to shout out uh, one of my homies. You know, he uh, he actually followed his dream of becoming a novelist. Uh, he's completed his his fourth science fiction novel, but yesterday he converted one of his, you know, stories from one of his novels into a, a Christmas play. And I, and I want to say I was definitely impressed by just the, the from a, even from a business standpoint, the marketing aspect of it that, you know, he really put his marketing cap on. Um, so this this to my guy, you know, Chris Lair, he has a, a novel series, sci-fi series called Origins. You know, he's a upcoming science fiction novelist. It did have a play. It was called um, 
the meaning of Christmas from the perspective of an alien, you know. So it, it, it was very interesting. It had some some uh, local Detroit talent acting in it. Uh, so you know, very bright guy, and, and I'm I'm proud of him for following his dream. Uh, shout out, shout out the uh, is it Chris Lear? Yeah, Chris Lear, Christopher Lear. Yes. Shout out to you, sir. You know, talking about the aliens and things like that. <laughs> and um, your boy, Danny. I I saw him yesterday. I was I was waking up from one of my naps, and they were talking about how you know he did such a good job yesterday. He's a rising star. He's one of the, the guys to look out for. Um, one of those Davis boys. Yeah, they both did their thing last night. Keyshawn got the knockout. Looked good, and uh, Kelvin did too. Keyshawn was on the televised part. Um, Kelvin was not, but they both handled business. Okay, which one do you think uh, has the like right now? The ceiling is is is, is highest at this point because you like you say you never know. But like right now, who, who's the one that looks the, like the most promising? Um, definitely Keyshawn. I mean, he's been the most. He had the most kind of like heralded amateur amateur career. Uh, he lost a razor thin decision in that uh, that silver that gold medal matchup uh, earlier this year against Cruz, and, um, and yeah, like it says a lot that so many promoters were looking to sign him, you know. Um, so and he has a good camp around. I mean, they both do because they're both with Bo Mac and them. But I think in terms of raw talent, you know, Keyshawn, if I recall correctly, so. When I did this uh, beginner's clinic at Norfolk Boxing Center last year, the coach who ran that was coaching Keyshawn when he was younger. And he sent Keyshawn up to, to Alexandria to train with like Shakur and, and Coach K and them, I believe. And so Keyshawn was up there for a minute, getting in good bump with Shakur. And, you know, they had some other highly touted amateurs out there. And I think some guys were pro at that time. But, you know, but yeah, I think Keyshawn just had the, the bigger ceiling. Keyshawn is uh, a wild boy, man, when it comes to that boxing. I was listening to him, uh, Chris Colbert and Shakur Stevenson. They were all having a conversation. They seem like they have, they have a good rapport with one another. And I take that back about Chris Col Colbert because it seemed like he will is willing to face uh, Shakur Stevenson. So what I said before in terms of him sounding like he was um, kind of reluctant that after I a while I started you know talk a little bit more and that's certainly not the case but in that conversation that those three fellas were having somehow Edgar Berlina, Berlinga name came up and it was part of Edgar Berlinga's, Berlinga's last fight and so you know Shakur was talking and like I said it was mentioning his name and out the blue Keyshawn was like yeah I'm gonna spar him and so Chris Cobra like man you a fool like he's <laughs> <laughs> that wrong yeah like he, he just he like you doing trying to do way too much. He's like, and then when he said that, he said, if they like if, if they let you do that, they don't like you. you know, <laughs> but nah, yeah, man, that's, that's good that you got young guys that's promising. And all three of those guys look like, you know, at you know, they can be the goods, man. You know, especially Shakur right now. And it's good to hear somebody with that heart and determination of a Keyshawn Davis. So shout out to him. Anything else, fellas, before we wrap up? Yeah, shout out to Keyshawn. I, I, I peeped that yesterday, and I, I was pressing what I saw. Yeah, and last thing I'm going to ask you this, is that do they ever have fights down there in Norfolk? I know that the Scope used to be a spot that they that they would have fights, but is, is there any action that goes on down there anymore? Not in terms of, like, highly touted. Like, like, they might have some at, like, the, the Masonic Temple, you know what I mean, where you're going to 
and it is technically professional. But uh, outside of that, it's more so an amateur scene at this point. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Purnell used to sell that bad boy out. That's mm-hmm. how, I, like, coming up, that's how I knew about Norfolk, just on the strength of Purnell uh, Whitaker. Yeah. But yeah, shout out to the, you know, boxing down there. No, nah, man, that was a really good episode. You know, look forward to these discussions next week. We got a whole bunch of boxing, you know, to, to view and discuss next week. Um, on that note, we out. Enjoy your Monday. Peace. Peace.